Hello again, everyone. Welcome back to Cloud Wars Live, where we're talking about the digital revolution that's changing every part of our lives and also some of the crazy things going on in the world these days over the last several months from pandemics to uh, the global economic slowdown and the efforts of companies to come out of that with some civil unrest things going on in the world today. So lots and lots going on, revolutions on multiple levels. And uh, our guest today, our monthly digital all-star Sean Amirati is with us to talk about his favorite subject, which is Amirati on innovation. Sean is a professor at the business school at Carnegie Mellon University, where he's the co-founder of the corporate startup lab, helping big companies think like small companies and entrepreneurs. Sean's a serial entrepreneur. He's a venture capitalist, and uh, he's also a podcaster and a blogger. So Sean, in your spare time, what, what, what do you, uh, what do you do? Triathlons or something? I do do triathlons in my spare time. That's right. <laughs> Although not right now, as it turns out, uh, <laughs> if you want to think about an event that is not safe to do in the world we're living in today, putting 500, 5,000 sweaty athletes in a small space together is, is certainly one of them. So yeah. we're just training these days, but yeah, looking forward to getting back to it when we, when we get on the other side of this. Well, Sean, that sounds good. Thanks for being with us here today. And Sean, it looks like, uh, you know, you've got a new setup uh, today. Yeah. And you'd, you had mentioned that they're, you know, that's sort of woven into your, your longer term plans with CMU and other things. Yeah, you know, so I think last time I was on, I said, uh, you know, we need to think about not just reopening our businesses, but reimagining them. And, you know, that's not just true for the companies that I talk to and the startups that I work with. That's also true for myself. And, you know, two things that I do a, a good amount of, right, is, is workshops with large companies, trying to help them reimagine their businesses and figure out what the right innovation strategy is. And then, you know, it's not an incredibly lucrative part of what I do, but it's some of the most fun things I do is teach at Carnegie Mellon. And both of those businesses certainly need reimagined as well, right? Education is going to look different this fall than it did before. And certainly, getting on a plane to fly to a, a boardroom somewhere to do a workshop is, is not something that we're doing a lot of right now. So in the spirit of reimagining, I went ahead and uh, kind of built this out a little bit so that I can do more of these workshops and also, um, you know, cut some videos and some ways to try to help produce some more content around entrepreneurship. Because I do believe we cannot stop investing in entrepreneurial education for our young people. Like, if you're an undergrad or graduate student right now, increasing your acumen around entrepreneurial thinking is just so important. And so I wanna make sure as someone who's been doing this for the last 10 years uh, and been teaching online for over five because Carnegie Mellon's had an online hybrid program for a while, I wanna make sure I'm creating content and doing things to create an excellent experience for my students at Carnegie Mellon. And also to the extent I can, creating content and materials and supporting stuff that other schools, if they're missing modules or missing components can leverage in there as well. So yeah, we built this out a little bit and I figured I'd also use it for my podcast. And then when I come on and chat with you. Sean, well, it looks great. Um, thanks for jumping into this. And, and Sean is interesting. You mentioned that notion from uh, the last time we talked about, uh, you know, many people understandably their big focus is i got to reopen my business and you know a lot of things that had been shut down in those horrendous figures of you know 40 million americans put out of work 
by some of those restrictions and you know many hundreds of millions around the world and you know for similar fashions like this so it's understandable that a lot of people could be really just thinking now how do i get things back the doors back open again but your point i i hope we'll have a, a few minutes to talk about this today because i think you really were onto something there was it not just reopen but reimagine and I think, uh, you know, you've talked before about reimagine and reinvent and the need for companies to look at this as an opportunity. Yes, it's a challenge in some way, but it's also an opportunity to reconnect and re-engage with customers and opportunities in ways that uh, they were never able to do before. So what, what are you thinking about that these days, Sean? Yeah, so, so I feel even more committed that that's the right mantra for these companies along a couple of different dimensions, right? So the first is, um, you know, it's always been true. And we've been saying this, I think, since probably the first time I came on this podcast with you, right? That the things that made your company relevant won't keep it relevant in the future, yeah. right? Now, I think what's happened from a pandemic and economic recession perspective is that we've dramatically decreased the the sort of length of relevancy that that happens so like whereas before maybe when i was saying that my implication was you know five ten years from now uh the world's going to be different and you need to build new products new services reimagine how you deliver value to your customers for that world five to ten years from now the the interesting dynamic now is that 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 window has shrank. So instead of it being five to 10 years, it, it might be like today or at least, you know, the next couple of months, right? And yeah. I think what you've seen is, you, you know, it's easy to experience this kind of in our, in our uh, consumer worlds. I think about, you know, restaurants that rush to reopen, you know, their business is now feeling very fragile again. Whereas if that restaurant rushed to reinvent itself, you know, there's a there's a um, local Thai restaurant down here that completely changed how they did delivery, how they did takeout, everything. Right? I was talking to the owner; like their business is up dramatically year over year, right? Because they've they've not just said like, oh, let's figure out how we can make our dining room safe because that's what how we used to run our business. It's like how we used to run our business is not relevant. And and the thing is like everybody nods their head when you use an example like restaurants because it's like, oh yeah, I get that. Obviously, that's the right thing. But you know what? That's also true for a large automotive company. That's also true for uh, an entertainment company, right? Th this is true across all industries. This is true for education. Like, you know, uh, it's a privilege to be at Carnegie Mellon, but Carnegie Mellon is not going to look the same at going forward that it, that it did before. I think it will still be a magical place, but it's going to be a different magical place. And, uh, and you know, I think what you're going to see is some businesses they're going to actually double down on this and say, okay, the world's changed. We need, to, we need to quickly accelerate into the future. The thing that we thought was going to be true about our business in five or 10 years, it's going to be true now. So, so let's go, go, go. And you're going to see those businesses come out of this stronger, more vibrant than ever. We talked last time about the study from the Harvard professors about roaring out of the recession. They're going to come roaring out of this. I think you're going to see others that for whatever reason are going to kind of cling to the past and they're just un unfortunately they're just going to get hammered and and what i think is the the real important question right now and we're just beginning to kind of look into this but is what's the sort of current landscape between 
okay, I want to, you know, I'm going to cling to the past versus try to maintain status quo versus really push forward. And then is there any way we can influence through partners? I think technology companies actually have a, a huge role to play here in getting more of those companies to shift their focus to looking forward and being one of these strong companies. Because the reality is, it's fun to read the Wall Street Journal or the CNBC article about what's going to happen to the economy overall. And there are some great economists at Carnegie Mellon who have weighed in on that. And I think these are important topics. But I would just remind everybody, the economy is made up of, of individuals and companies. And if we can make more of the companies strong, by definition, the economy will be stronger, right? So if instead of it being 10% that come roaring out, it's 30%, that completely changes the calculus for how long we're in this. And, and, and you know, really the ultimate question, which is how long till we get back to the economy feeling more or less like it, like it did before all of this? John, you know, uh, you, you've mentioned it, economists and um, like every, you know, every profession, economists have a place and it can be very helpful. But I got to tell you, over the last two or three years, I... I could, I'll bet it's nine times out of 10 that I hear on any sort of news report or something where there's a reference to economists. It is always that the economists said they were surprised by how much something went up or something went down or the, you know, unexpectedly high numbers of new jobs created, unexpectedly low numbers of unemployment, you know, whatever there were there. So, um, I, I just wanted to say, without uh, taking a swipe at anybody, I sure agree with you that the much more accurate and relevant barometer here are, you know, these individuals, these companies, these organizations that are taking it on themselves to reinvent the future. And our mutual yeah. buddy, Chris Lockhead, talks about uh, his mantra is the future needs you. That's right. Uh, the future needs individuals to come and create it. It's not just sitting out there waiting for us to bumble into it. Uh, so, Sean, that's fun. And I, I think. Um, and, and I would just bolt on to yeah. Chris's comment. And it's entrepreneurs in the broadest sense of that word who create that future. Think about all the different futures that were created in the last 20 years. Behind every one of those creations, there's an entrepreneur who made it happen, right? Now, the, the reason we don't think that is because like the first example somebody's going to give you is this device, right? Is the iPhone. And we think, well, you know, Apple, like that was a big, yeah, that was a corporate entrepreneur, but it was still, it's an entrepreneur who makes the future. And what we need is we need more of the world to think about themselves as entrepreneurs. That's never been more important than it is today. Sean, one thing to a, a, a quick thing that, uh, Chris Lockhead and I talked about as well the other day, but I, I think this is so important in what you're saying here with the phone. I believe this is true, this anecdote that as Steve Jobs and some other folks at Apple were really cooking up the vision and the initial designs for the iPhone, they realized they were going to have to have a type of glass on the surface there of the phone, unlike anything that the world had ever seen. They went, you know, uh, so Apple approached Corning, yep. you know, believed to be the top you know, providers this sort of thing. And after, you know, a few weeks back and forth, the answer came back, no, we, you know, we, we can't do it. So Jobs hopped in the plane, flew up, and he met with the CEO of Corning. And I think as the anecdote went, the CEO of Corning said, look, this is just too hard. It's too complex. Nobody's ever done it. It's not possible. And Steve Jobs kind of reached over and patted his hand and said, no, no, you can do this. It's scary and nice. Nobody's ever done it, but you can do this. So that spirit of not just 
seeing things differently, but fearlessly moving into things and, and admitting we can either let the future happen to us or we can go create it. What do you want, you know, which alternative do you want to have? And, and so I think what we need to do is we need more people to take that same mindset that Steve Jobs did, right? And this is not to say that people aren't doing it. There are plenty of executives who I believe have really distinguished themselves through this crisis, but we need more of them to behave this way. And then folks like you and I that are sort of counselors and advisors to these executives, we need to get them to think not like, okay, why can't we do this and just stop there, but instead say, okay, what are the constraints that we're operating within? And then based on those constraints, how do we actually go make the future that the world so desperately needs? Yeah, Sean, that, that's a great point. And uh, now a word from our sponsor, BMC. In a world that's changing faster than ever before, the biggest challenge for businesses is creating fabulous customer experiences. That objective requires actionable insights and real-time agility from one end of your business to the other. At BMC, they call this the autonomous digital enterprise, and they've put together a set of solutions to help you anticipate what's coming, adjust accordingly, and acknowledge those changes from end to end. To start your journey to the autonomous digital enterprise, visit bmc.com slash ADE. So, Sean, that, uh, that the mindset that you're describing, I think it's so important. I suspect there's going to be a fair number of companies who say, hey, we've had workshops. We've talked about reimagining and reinventing the future. And um, we're not ready yet. The market's not ready yet. We've got to get through this cord. The, you know, right? There'll be an endless list of reasons not to do it. So instead, I think your notion there of map out the constraints that you have, how do you overcome those? Um, is that something that uh, you think uh, the current set of leaders can make that twist? Or do you think we're going to see a, a lot of shakeups in companies that uh, just figure they're going to have to have new vision, new leaders to be able to get to this new reality. Yeah, I, I think you're going to see some of both, right? There's, I think certainly you're going to see more turnover in the executive ranks in the next six to 12 months than you've seen historically, because certainly uh, just like some companies won't get there, I think some boards are going to push their execs to get there and they just won't. Um, but I also really am optimistic that there are organizations that I really believe are going to, to not just kind of survive, but, but figure out ways to, to thrive in this world. And, and we talked about this a little bit last time, but I really am interested in the role technology can play in all of this. You know, along a lot of dimensions, I believe companies have under-realized value from their digital transformation investments, right? We've talked about the need to think about business model transformation versus just digital transformation before. But another element of this, right, is that way more information at the atomic unit is inside these enterprise systems today. And I think when you look at companies who are like, wow, that's a big ERP system, but look at how valuable their data analytics business is. I think this is the first inning of what you're going to see over the next uh, you know, couple quarters here, where all of a sudden those, those analytics become not just rear view mirrors, but they become sort of operationalized advice that historically the only way you've been able to get that is going to a consulting firm or going to a, a workshop or whatever. And I, I mean, obviously I do workshops, so I, I have a horse in this race. I still think those are valuable. I think there's something valuable about 
pushing people to think differently and, and, you know, step back and look at it. But I think, you know, complementing that with data informed decisions around this is going to be really incredible. And we just have way more data than we've ever had to inform these decisions. So I do think you're going to see a lot of people just not make it, uh, both co some companies just aren't going to make it and some leaders just aren't going to get from here to there. Uh, but I am optimistic that uh, there's going to be some, some magical moments as well here. Sean, that's interesting. You know, as you, you, you talk about, uh, you know, the ones who will, the ones who won't. And one of the factors in there is going to be, um, you've described this notion of uh, and the, the incredible impact these days of data. So, you know, companies realizing first that they have it, secondly, that it's a raw material that they can use to do extraordinary new things. And then who gets to see this? Who gets to participate in the data revolution within companies? And then in a parallel structure, you know, some companies might say, hey, wait, you know, I can't tackle that because I'm also dealing with this now remote work, work from home, uh, resettled headquarters, situations like that. And actually cannot those be sort of the, the same thing, two sides of the same coin. We're going through these sort of wrenching uh, redefinitions, reimaginations of how our workforce actually operates. Isn't this an ideal time to allow people sort of to unleash that potential of the people and say, look, as we move into this new stuff, you're also going to get a chance to see things you haven't seen before. You'll be expected to be involved in these new awakenings and new imaginings of things. And you know, I don't know if I'm being over Pollyanna-ish about it, but I do think that there's a chance for some companies that have, if not bumbled and stumbled the last few years, at least they haven't been among the, the uh, you know, the real innovators and movers in these companies. I think there's a chance for them to do that, but they, it can't be tentative. Your, your discussion a few minutes ago about the relevancy cycles, uh, these are not, well, we'll get to that next year. You're not going to be here next year if that's your outlook. That's exactly right. No, that's exactly right. And I think that the the work from home piece of this is interesting, right? Because it's sort of like the restaurant piece that we were talking about earlier. I mean, we've been saying for a long time, I mean, we talked about it in the context of the WeWork implosion, right? Turned out and the onion continues to peel back. Wow, was there just some corporate governance mistakes there? But the part that was not incorrect is that, look, the concept of a big HQ somewhere that people waste an hour each day getting to and from is kind of crazy in the knowledge economy that we live in today. Like that piece of it was right. And so these more atomized and fragmented offices, like that made a lot of sense. Now, tons of problems at the board level there that, that frankly probably mean that the shareholders of WeWork will never realize the insight, the value from the insight that they had there. But what, but again, like we thought that was a trend that would play out over the next, you know, five to 10 years. I mean, that may, you know, you're seeing lots of tech companies announce they'll be work from home forever, not like work from home till we get a vaccine, but like work from home forever, which I just think it's just another good example. It's like the restaurant, you know, we're not trying to reopen our corporate HQ, we're trying to reimagine what does corporate HQ look like in a, you know, future state here. Sean, you know, I, I think there's a, a weaving together a couple of the threads you've brought out. <clears throat> I think from CEOs more than ever before, now there's a, there's a, a pressing need, an incredibly urgent need for them to start in a way this, this, this new part of their journey. 
toward reinvention, toward reimagination. They've got to dream big dreams and they've got to be able to communicate those effectively. Like the restaurant owner said, we're still going to be a restaurant. This is our name. We're going to serve Thai food, but in totally different ways, different processes, different approaches, different value to the consumer, different revenue models and so forth. And one of the examples, and I think we might've chatted about this last time, but I do again think this is worth bringing up is the CEO of Novartis, uh, Vas Narasimhan. He said that for too long in the pharmaceutical industry, they just, everybody accepted it, right? It's 10 years, $2 billion to create something new. And he finally thought about that. And he said that was true at a time, but not at this time. So why don't we attack these time and space constraints that have been put on us and find new ways to do that. And his goal, his idea there, he said, you know, we're not going to speed up uh, drug development. We're not going to reduce the cost of drug development. He said, we're going to reimagine medicine. Right. And if you give people, I think a, a compelling vision like that, that's the way to, light the fires within your teams to get everybody feeling like, oh, on that, yeah, this, you know, I got to be here. I can help with that. Let me go. Well, and I mean, to, to tie the thread back to the Steve Jobs and the Gorilla Glass example, right? And goes and finds a partner in the case of Microsoft and says, no, you know, this is such a big vision that it's bigger than just my company. Let's go find a, a partner to work to work on this with us. And the Microsoft piece, Sean, I think brings to that something where, um, you know, you've talked about a few things at the atomic level. So I'm not mixing metaphors here and getting into physics and saying they're going to fuse information technology and pharmaceutical products. But at a corporate level, that's exactly what they are doing. And I think that uh, Voss, the CEO at uh, Novartis, you know, he didn't talk about we're going to, we've signed this five year, 500 million. He didn't frame it in those terms. He said, we're going to work with Microsoft to create an AI innovation lab because right. that's where the value is going to be driven. So um, I think that opportunity to dream the big dreams, understand that, I mean, I can't think of an industry right now that will not have information technology at the core of what they're doing and don't be afraid to reframe the engagements that you create with technology companies, whether it's Microsoft or anybody else or other, you know, Gorilla Glass and up and down the line, there's, there's new ways of doing things. And uh, I don't know if it's a lack of imagination or concern or fear or worry, whatever it is, but I think the CEOs that are going to be at the top of the lists in the next year or two are going to be the ones that just sweep those, things aside and focus on where's the market head? Where's the opportunity? How much do I have to change? Not how little do I need to change That's to right. get there? It's, it's going to be, you know, one of the most striking 18 to 24 months, I think in the history of business. Absolutely. There's no doubt about it, right? Like the, the, this is both going to be an incredibly intense time and, uh, and there's going to be all kinds of challenges. Uh, but, you know, these challenges and this sort of crisis is a terrible thing to waste, right? Like at the end of the day, we need to look at this and, and not say, what can't we do? How do I put my head in the sand and, and hope this all goes away? You know, uh, oh, I hope that, that by, you know, 2021, things are just back to normal. Like that's, that's just not where we're heading at this point. And, and those leaders, I think, are, are going to... You know, frankly, just be shown the door uh, swiftly is my is my sense.
Uh, but man, those who lean in and play offense right now, I think they're going to look back in 18 to 24 months and be like, wow, this was, this was a, a magical, a magical time uh, for our company. Yeah. Sean, it, are there any particular uh, pieces of work that you or your teams are engaged in now that the audiences might be interested in or that you could point folks to? Sure. So, so um, we're, we're, as I mentioned earlier, we're really trying to get our arms around this question of, okay, what's the breakdown between doubling down, maintaining innovation investments and pulling back? Um, first, just to get a snapshot on kind of where we are, and then to try to figure out if there's ways that we can help push more into the play offense category. It's, it's difficult because, you know, you can't, you can't just ask people the question, you know, you, people are bad at answering general behavioral questions like that. If we were good at answering questions like that, then all the resolutions we made January 2nd and 1st of this year, we'd still be, uh, we'd still be you know, acting on today, halfway through the year. So you can't just say, hey, are you going to continue to be innovative or not? Like, nobody's going to say no to that question, right? Um, but, but I think there are interesting proxies. And, and one of the proxies we've come up with is for large companies that have corporate venture groups, you know, what percentage of them are increasing the commitment to those CVC groups? What percentage are maintaining the commitment to those CVC groups and what percentage are pulling back? And kind of ask this a number of different ways with this cohort of, of large company CVCs. Uh, probably by the time this research will be out, if not shortly after that. But I think what you're gonna see is that roughly about 10% are going to play offense here that there's another chunk that's you know roughly a third a quarter to a third that are going to kind of maintain and then you're having you know the, the rest that are going to pull back now at least we know what the data is the, the next question becomes not just in the area of cvc but in general for all of these transformational ideas what are the ways that we can improve and increase that there's work still to be done but it's it's things that we're committed to figuring out at csl because you know we have a, admittedly, a small part to play in this overall change of people's philosophies. But I'm telling you, like, when I get on the the Zoom calls with my colleagues, with the program managers and the other folks in my lab, like, we are 100% committed to not wasting this crisis, to doing everything we can to not look back in 18 months and say, boy, I wish I would have done this. I wish I would have done that. And so we're going to do what we can do to be part of the solution. Uh, and I, my hope is that uh, lots of people can kind of do the same thing here, right? That they can end up coming up with their own versions of, of what the right solution is with the assets and the unique talent and the expertise that they have. Um, Sean, uh, you know, just as we wrap things up, uh, I want to be sure that you get the final word here. But also I wonder if, um, are you familiar with the poem... Uh, Oh my goodness. I'm, I'm skipping on the name of the author, but the, it's Horatius at the bridge. I'm not. And it is about uh, Rome in about the year 200 AD and they're being invaded from the North and they get advanced notice of this and the bad guys are coming. They can see them, you know, in the distance and the, and the, you know, the Roman Senate decides we've got to knock down the bridge that they intend to come over, but to, to give us to buy time, 
to knock down that bridge, we got to have some people over on the north side of the Tiber to fight these guys off. And Horatius stands up, I'll do it. And he said, but I need somebody on my left and my right. And he gets a couple people up there. And the, the story is about this thing of, you know, what do you do when uh, real tangible danger is approaching? How do you respond to this? What does leadership look like? And what does commitment look like? And all this. So uh, these next 18 to 24 months, as you said, are, are so critical. But these are issues that, you know, we as humans have dealt with for thousands of years. And um, I think that uh, if, if you want to share some with some folks, a little bit that might allow them to think about this a little bit of a different way. Set a few stanzas from, uh, I think it's Macaulay is the uh, the poet there, Horatius at the bridge. And it'll uh, <laughs> at least get their blood pumping a little bit, whether they decide they want to be Horatius or the guys hiding on the other side, you know, it remains to be seen, but it's an enduring human problem. Uh, and uh, Sean, it's very powerful stuff. Do you have a couple final words you'd want to share with people about, you know, as they jump into this decision-making time? I, I mean, I, I, I think that in general, the, if, if I were just to kind of leave you with, with one thought, it would be a, this thought exercise. Think about kind of all the, all the trends that you've been talking about around the boardroom over the last couple of years, right? Because I don't think actually that most of the trends that we need to tap into as we reimagine our businesses are unknown. I would actually argue most of them are very known. But just do not be complacent. Assume that that trend is going to come at you much faster, much more dramatic than maybe you thought in January before all of this started. And then I think with that lens, then go back and revisit your operational plan. Revisit how you're investing your assets this year. Um, because I do believe that you, you, know, you are much more likely to regret underreacting than overreacting. Like our bias is going to be just with human nature to underreact to these things. And I think in 18 months, we'll that'll be disappointing to us. Whereas if we, if we think, okay, let me lean a little extra into this, uh, we'll, we'll end up being really glad and realizing that we didn't actually overreact at all. We just reacted appropriately to this time of just crazy transition and, and transformation. Um, John, it's great final words there. I was looking for some, as you were talking about the future coming faster than ever before. Um, I think the uh, subject line or the tagline on the Cloud Wars newsletter this morning was warning the, the future in your rear view mirror is, is much, much closer than it appears. So, um, Sean, is always, great counsel there. Thanks so much for being with us here at Cloud Wars Live. Loves the new, uh, the new workspace you've got there. And it seems to, to be a great you know, manifestation of your acceptance and your eager uh, redefinition of who you are and what you do and how you work. So thanks for being with us and sharing, uh, as always, some great ideas. Thank you, Bob. I appreciate it. Have a good one. And thanks to all of you, our wonderful audience here at Cloud Wars Live growing. We're in over 100 countries have watched it. We're happy to share these ideas. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for being with us and we'll see you next time.